start our study in Psalms tonight. Excited about that. Um, we, uh, we, it's interesting because Psalms, it, it actually get the Hebrew word. I, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but the, what, what the Greek word psalmos came from when it was translated the Hebrew into the Greek for the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament or Hebrew Bible originally written in Hebrew and it meant book of praises. That's what psalms means in Hebrew, book of praises. When it was translated into the Greek, the word psalmos is used there. It carries the idea that it's praise song that is accompanied by stringed instruments, which is interesting as the psalms initially were sung. They were a lot of times sung in, in, in response. The, the leader would sing part and then in response to that. But that's, that's the design behind it. It's the, the Psalms is the, is the devotional guide, the prayer book, the hymnal of the children of God dating back thousands of years. To the, the time of, it, there's 150 Psalms as we go through them. Most of the other books of the Bible, as we've said, when, you, when we say turn to chapter and verse, they didn't have chapters and verses when it was written. They, that, those were added later. But the Psalms, they're, they're 150 individual praises, songs, if you would, that have been brought together. And we'll see as we go through this, and we'll identify that as we go through one by one. But over, well, a third of them are anonymous. We don't know for sure who the author was. 73 of them were, were penned by David. We know that, as we will see, and it'll say a psalm of David or whatever. And it's interesting. I remember growing up as a kid, I, I thought David wrote them all. Well, David, David, David is, was blessed to be used by God to write 73 of them. They, the Asaph wrote 12 of them. The sons of Korah, 10. Solomon, 2. Moses wrote one of them, which would be the earliest one that we have. And a man named Ethan wrote one, and we'll talk through those as we get to those. But the Psalms are quoted or alluded to in the New Testament 400 times. So this is something that, you know, as we experience this, we go through this, we'll be going uh, uh, at a pace that the Lord dictates. Uh, it's kind of funny, I was trying to think, 150 of them. I wonder, wonder how long it's going to take us to get through the book of Psalms. And if anybody want to take an over-under on that, we can talk afterwards, but... I'm, I'm super excited to jump in. So let's jump into Psalm 1. Here we come to our first one. It's anonymous. We don't know who wrote it. it does, we don't have any definitive answer on that other than we know that the Holy Spirit is the, is the writer and we are given this to begin. And it, of all of that, so it's like you know God put this one first and for a reason. And notice right away how blessed is the man. We're going to talk about how it is that we can be blessed. That word is... It, it carries with it the idea of, of happiness, fulfilled. But it's interesting, it's a plural word. It's not, you know, an, an, a, a one thing of happiness. This is how you can be happy, be blessed, be filled. It's not something that leaves when your circumstance changes. This is something that we can, that we can have and that we can own the joy of the Lord in us. 
How blessed is the man, notice verse, verse one, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The author here shows us in contrasting forms, if we're to be blessed, there's things that we cannot do, and there's things that we must do. And he begins starting off with, notice he says, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the path of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. We are called as Christians, and we know that in the world, that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are not, we, it's not like we're to stay here in our closed little building and not go out into the world. No, as a matter of fact, our mission is out there, but we are not to be drawn in. Jesus says this in John chapter 17, in the, what we know, it, we, talked, we looked at what we call the Lord's Prayer. We've called it the Lord's Prayer on this past weekend, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that we went through that. Quite honestly, that's the disciples' prayer because that's Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. The Lord's prayer is in John 17 as the Lord is praying and speaking. That's just my own personal spin on it. But anyway, John 17, Jesus speaking, praying, praying to the Father. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. So again, notice we are to go into the world for they, their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves may also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone as he's praying over his disciples, but notice he's praying for you and I, but for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus, in his own prayer, it's not that we're not supposed to be in the world, but notice it says if we're to be blessed, if we're to be filled, fulfilled, we are not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Walking alongside, counsel of the wicked, going to the world for advice, going to the world for counsel, dealing with certain things and, and struggling in certain areas. We're not to go to the counsel of the world, walking along with them. We're not to stand in the path of sinners, standing right along directly with the world, sinful world, going a different, completely different direction from God. And we'll see that as we continue on tonight. But thirdly, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you notice the, the progression there? Walking, standing, and sitting. It's a, it's a progression. And I think that that's, that's purposeful because if we're not careful, we can find ourselves walking in the counsel of the wicked, walking in the counsel of the world, and not really noticing too much of it, but then that will lead, if we're not identifying that and, and continuing on down that, before you know it, we're standing right with them. And if we're not careful there and running, turning, repenting there, before you know it, we'll be sitting in the seat of scoffers as the world scoffs and mocks the word of God and the truths of God and so much of what I believe we see going on in the world today, professing Christians, we've talked of this often and touch on it a few times tonight as we move through the first couple of Psalms, where the world 
and, and the professing Christians. The, word, the United States still is professing to be largely Christian, but if that's the case, how does that explain, how do you explain the, the abortion rate in this country and, and the fact that we have thrown out all of these morality things? The Bible outlines marriage as to what that's to be, yet we've, the, the country has gone in totally different directions. All of these different things, how does that happen if the, if the country is largely Christian? Because we walked in the counsel of wicked and we stood in the path of sinners and before you know it, we're sitting in the seat of scoffers. And many, even in the so-called quote-unquote church today, question large parts of the word of God and, and just put, cast it aside and saying, well, that was for then and this is different now and sitting in the seat of scoffers. If you want to be blessed, if you truly want to have joy, these things are not to be in our lives, but it doesn't stop there. Notice it says, but. Not just avoiding that, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord. Notice it says he delights in his law. It's not that he spends time in the word of God because he has to because he feels guilty, even because he's seeking some type of blessing from it. If I do this, well, then God's obligated to do this. No, he delights in it. He does it because he desires it. He delights in doing it. The law of the Lord. Turn with me just a couple of pages over to Psalm 19. David tells us here, as we see at the beginning of Psalm 19, this is a Psalm of David. David talks to us here and he explains to us in Psalm 19, speaking of the law of the Lord as to why we should delight in it. Notice beginning in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. You can't get perfect counsel anywhere else in the world. You might be able to find something that can help you temporarily in a particular situation, but you cannot find perfect counsel anywhere else. The word of God, perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I don't know about you, I'm sure we could probably all testify if we, do, if we do delight in the word of God and we get up in the morning or we're going through a particularly difficult time and specifically for me, oftentimes the Psalms, I might be going through the roughest patch, the diff most difficult time. I can read a couple of Psalms and be rejoicing in my heart because God's word ministering to me that way. The commandment of the Lord, notice, pure enlightening the eyes. It opens our eyes to the truth. The fear of the Lord, clean, enduring forever, not temporary. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are altogether righteous. More desirable, as we sang earlier, he is, but so are his words, so are his truth. More desirable gold than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. The, God's word warning us what to stay away from, as we just spoke of in, in verse 1. In keeping them there is great reward. Keeping the word of God, keeping the law of God. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you do, you're my friend. We have friendship with God. 
the law of God. It, 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 Paul tells us in Galatians that the law of the Lord is our tutor leading us to Christ where we understand that we are justified, declared righteous by faith in Jesus. The law, delight, meditating on it. Delighting in the law is a lot. He meditates day and night. I love that. Meditating, it's not, it's not some weird thing. It's not some out of touch thing. As a matter of fact, it's very simple. I like kind of looking at it, you know, meditating it is like marinating in it. Just, just sitting in it and letting it absorb into you. One, of, one uh, word that's been used to describe it is to, is to ruminate. And I studied that word a little bit today, and it's interesting. The origin of ruminate, it comes from ruminant. And if you look up the word ruminant, it will tell you to, to meditate, to, to ponder on, to hold on. But the primary definition is an animal that chews its cud. And I don't know if you've heard it described before, and it's a little gross, but it sure will leave an impression, and it's a great picture. A cow gets up early in the morning while the dew's still on the grass, and he goes out, and he'll be munching and chewing and enjoying that and swallowing it. And if you watch the cow a little later, he hasn't stuck anything else in his mouth, and all of a sudden he's chewing again because he has brought it back up from stomach one and chews on it a little bit more and swallows it again into stomach two. Guess how many stomachs? Five. And yeah, it's a little gross. <laughs> but guys, the word of God, we, you get up early in the morning and, you, and, you, and you're perhaps reading through a psalm and, and the Lord ministers to you that. And later on in the day, about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, hmm, hmm. <laughs> Mm, that was so good this morning, and it's still so good. And the reason they do that is to fully get all of the nutrients out of the grass that they've eaten. And that's what it speaks of here to meditate on it. Notice day and night. If we delight in the word of the Lord, and it's not something that we just go through and we check off as our box that we go through. Okay, I did that. Got All right, now breakfast. But we truly embrace it for what it is, the living word of God, his desire to speak to us. And we take that for what it is personally for us and allow that to do its work in us throughout the day. The Bible tells us that we are blessed in that. We find what the world can't. No matter where else it goes for counsel, no matter how many books it reads, no matter how much research it does on the internet, it can never find what you and I can find right here. Notice what it says here. Verse 3 is a beautiful thing. As he, and it doesn't say that we are trees. It says that he will be like a tree. And he gives us this, again, beautiful picture. <laughs> the previous picture, not so beautiful. Point, you know, makes its point. This one, a beautiful picture to make a point. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Now, the first thing I want to point out in that is notice it says the tree is firmly planted. How much input does a tree have as to where it's planted? Zero, right? <laughs> the planter decides where the tree is planted. 
And when we, when we embrace this as this, we understand God has uniquely chosen us, uniquely called us, and he chooses where to plant us, where he knows that it's, we are going to be able to bear the most fruit. I encourage you. So many people that I come across in times, and I, and I even just had a conversation with a, a brother the other day that says, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with where God has me right now. I, I believe that this, you know, and kind of, kind of outlined a, a scenario that, that he was really leaning towards, but really felt that God had him here for now. And my counsel, it would be this right here. Grow where you're planted, where God has you. He knows. He might uproot you and plant you somewhere else at another time in his timing, in his way, but grow where you are planted because and by streams of living water. Again, a beautiful picture there, the tree that is planted by streams of living water. We don't see where the nourishment comes from because the roots go down deep into the, into the soil and reaching out into be able to draw the moisture from the water. But what we do see, we don't see that subterranean, but what we do see is the tree growing taller and taller. So I was thinking on that earlier today. It does tell us that we will yield fruit, that, that a leaf won't wither, and whatever we do prosper. Now, that's not the name it and claim it type verse there. That's saying, again, what does a tree do? It does what it's planted for, bears fruit, provides shade, converts to oxygen, those types of things. And I can let you own, you kind of figure out how the Lord wants to use you to provide shade and those types of things. But the other thing that, we'll come back to those in a second, but the one thing that it, I, I, was, I was challenged in myself is as the tree grows taller, it's exposed to more things. The storms that come. You see the tall trees are the ones that are whipped in the wind. And, and you know, whereas the, when it's little, it's just coming out of the ground. It's kind of protected and shielded from those things. And sometimes we can look at it and say, okay, this storm that has come, what's going on? I've been delighting in the Lord. I've been, all of this type of stuff. And what's this for? Well, Jesus doesn't promise that we won't have storms. What he does promise is that if we hear his words and abide by them and live by them, the storms won't rock us. They won't, that our will will be that house built on the rock that when it comes and it slams into the house, we, we stand because we're built on the rock. The same is true here. Yielding fruit in season. Again, I love that that picture of, a, of the fruit tree. How, if, how many of you have fruit trees in your yard? See, see them driving by. Have you ever seen your fruit tree struggle to produce fruit? Do you see it striving and laboring to pop that lemon out? No, it happens naturally. It happens because it was planted where it was. It's receiving the water that it needs, the nutrients that it needs. And it does what a fruit tree does. It will yield its fruit. Its leaf does not wither. It doesn't become dry and crusty. It's got, it's, it's got life in it. Do you feel dry right now? Is your life dry? 
Get in the word of God. Oh, that's what you pastors always say. It's all, it's all, that's just the answer. Well, I can tell you why you're dry. And I, that is the answer. What did you expect me to say? Because <laughs> it works. It's the truth. Get into the word of God. Verse two, delight in the law of the Lord. Don't just do it as something to do. Embrace it for what it is, God's living word. Whatever he does, again, he profits or he prospers. Notice though, verse four, the wicked are not so. Literally, it just says, the wicked, not so. Those that ignore this, those that turn away from this, not so. Turn with me, keep your finger here, turn with me over to Jer the book of Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah, that'd be a few chapters over. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, keep going, get to the prophets, Isaiah, then Jeremiah 17. Notice Psalm 17, or Jeremiah 17, it takes it this way, verse five, thus says the Lord, we talked about in, in Psalms here, blessed is the man, notice it says, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes. He will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Then Jeremiah picks up as the psalmist did. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust and whose trust is in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by water that extends its roots by the stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of the drought nor cease to yield fruit. But here we see a vivid picture of the one that's, that's not following the Lord, the wicked, the one, the, the one that is on the outside of that. It's in a desert place, dry. And the world is continually looking to find happiness, fulfillment outside of the word of God, outside of the will of God. And Isaiah, the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah, crying out Isaiah 55, where it says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy the wine and milk without money, without cost. You can't purchase it with anything you bring. It's been purchased for you already. But verse two says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. There's that delight word again. Delight yourself in the word of God. Why do you spend your money, all of your effort, all of your time, all of your energy on what can't satisfy? And the world is continually chasing after all of these things. Do this. Live this way. You know, all of this kind of stuff. And it's all a lie because you can't find happiness anywhere else. You can't find fulfillment. At best, you can find temporary happiness, momentary. But it goes as quickly as it comes. I've used this, this again before, but again, these, these visual pictures for me are always such a blessing because it reminds me all the time. We know that, that, that slogan, right? The, the, the commercial, Snickers really satisfies. No, it doesn't. A Snickers bar cannot satisfy you. Your body is telling you it's hungry. Your body is saying, I need nutrients. I need, I need vitamins. A Snickers does not provide that. 
What a Snickers does is exactly what the world, what it offers and all of these other things, it masks the symptoms of hunger, robbing the body of what it really needs. And that's the lie of the enemy. He's going to say, you know what, do this and you'll be satisfied. Yeah, go ahead and drink this. You'll, be, you'll, you'll, you'll find satisfaction. You'll find happiness out here partying here or, or going off and, and, and sleeping with this person or doing all of this kind of stuff. You can have satisfaction this way. No, you can't. All you can do is temporarily mask the desires that God has placed within you. But at the end of it, on the other side of it, you're worse off. Your, your body is starving even more after eating a Snickers bar for what it really needs because now your body's got to work harder to get rid of that junk that you just ate. <laughs> Sorry, Snickers fans, it's just truth. <laughs> the wicked, not so. But they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. The righteous are like a tree firmly planted. The wind comes, can't, can't, yeah, it can shake, it can rock, but the roots are deep. The wind comes and chaff, it's weightless. It's, it has nothing. It just blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They can't stand. Judgment is coming, and we're going to get to that here when we get into Psalm 2, but that's one of the lies of the enemy, that there's no, reconcil- there, there, there's no accountability, there's no final judgment in this all. Just live for today, enjoy yourself today, don't worry, there's really nothing out there at the end. No, judgment is coming, and the wicked will not stand. They cannot stand. They will be judged, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And we keep talking of this righteousness, and, and I know the enemy's maybe playing some tricks right now on some of you, saying, okay, that's talking about righteous people, and I can look at my life and realize that there's unrighteousness in my life. Okay, well, we're all there. This is talking about the, the way of the righteous. You and I as born-again believers, we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. We will not stand on our own righteousness. As a matter of fact, again, the law, a tutor, bringing us to Christ so that we are by faith justified, declared righteous before a holy and righteous God. Declared righteous, not earned, declared because of the blood of Jesus that washes us and cleanses us. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. In Revelation, when, the, when Jesus is speaking to the seven churches, to each one of them, he says, I know your deeds. I know where you dwell. I know what you're going through. He knows. He knows. But the way of the wicked will perish. The wages of sin is death. They will perish, and it's not just physical death. It's an eternal spiritual death facing the wrath of God forever in hell. And the world doesn't like that. The the world pushes against that, and that, as we transition into Psalm 2, notice that's exactly where that picks up. The, The way of the wicked will perish. They will be judged for their sin. If you don't have the blood of Jesus covering you and washing away your sin, you will be judged and face that wrath. Notice Why are the nations in in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Why are they in an uproar? Because they don't want that accountability. 
They want to do their own thing. In our flesh, before Jesus redeemed us and saved us, we were just, we were the same way. Ephesians 2 is very clear about that. The Bible's very clear. We were just like they are. So it's not like we stand, we can stand in, in somehow holier than them. No, it's only by the grace of God you and I aren't just like them. But the, the world at large is, is in an uproar. And it's all around us. We don't have to look hard to see it, do we? It's everywhere. Anytime the Bible is mentioned or anytime the name, of, the name of Jesus is mentioned, man, the scorn, right? Just comes out of everywhere. You can't do this here. You can't do that there. We've got to get rid of all of this. Everything is okay. Any lifestyle choice, any even religious choice, as long as it's not following Jesus, as long as it's not following the God of the Bible. You're pretty much okay as long as you're not a Jew or a Christian in the world today. Everything else is okay. Anti-Semitism that is running rampant around the world. And again, Jesus, it just, anything having to do with the truth and Jesus, and we see this, they're in an uproar. Interesting little word study here, and the people's devising a main thing. That is the same word as back in verse 2 of chapter 1, meditates day and night. That same word. As you and I are called to meditate on God's word and continually bring it back up all throughout the day, what this is saying is, is that the world, that they're obsessed with doing away with anything that has to do with God. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together, notice, against the Lord and against his anointed, his anointed being Jesus. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords. Let us take off all restraint. Anything that God might say in his word, don't do or do this, we gotta, it's almost like we gotta do the exact opposite. Preferring the fetters and the cords of sin to the freedom that comes from being a slave of Jesus. The enemy, though, again, we have to understand, we have a very real enemy. The enemy convinces the world that, that, God, that Psalm 17, that we, or Psalm 19 that we looked at isn't true, that God's laws, that God's, they're just restrictive. God does all of these things to punish you, to keep you under his thumb. What he really, he just doesn't want you to have any fun. But that goes all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter three, isn't that way, the way Satan approached Eve? He's holding out on you. Did he really say that? Did he really mean that? No, the truth of the matter is, if you do this, you'll be just like him, and he doesn't want that. He's a liar from the beginning, and he continues to lie, and that's, that's where this, this comes from. And they're, and they're passionate about taking this all away. We don't want any restraints. We want to do whatever we want to do, and don't tell me anything different. Don't talk to me about sin and repentance and hell as if ignoring it or denying it makes it go away. As we, I didn't mention it as we transitioned, I mentioned Psalm 1 is one of the anonymous psalms. Notice Psalm 2 does not tell us who the author is at the beginning. You can look this up later just for the sake of time. Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are released from, they, they've been taken into prison, they were released, and they said, the, the Pharisees said, and the religious leaders said, do not talk anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, hey, we'll leave that up between you. We can't stop. And they let him go. 
They go back to the, the other disciples and they're recounting for the, the other disciples what, what, what took place. And it says in verse 25, it says, um, or verse 24, and when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God in one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise foolish things, the kings of the earth, and quoted Psalm 2. So that's one of those that we don't count. The, the, the Psalms don't tell us that David wrote it, but Acts chapter 4 tells us that David wrote this Psalm, Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2. But the, the nation saying this, they, they cast all of this. We don't want any of this. Notice verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now, when it says here that he who sits in heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs, please understand what, he, what, what he's saying here, what the Lord is, is meaning as he's re representing this. The, the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not like he's laughing this sinister laugh or anything like that. That's not what he's speaking of here is, is these, these kings, these rulers, the world, they're saying, we won't have any of this. As a matter of fact, we're going to wipe this all out. Uh, we're going to stop this. And you look back through history, all the way back to Pharaoh trying to drown the the. the baby boys in the, in, the, in the Nile River all the way through. You just keep reading all the way through. You get to, you get to Herod who tried to kill all the babies to stop, to stop Jesus, to kill Jesus, the, the newborn Messiah, because he didn't want the king. The Romans trying to wipe out the Jews. Hitler, you look all the way through. We're going to do this. We're going to annihilate it. We're going to wipe them out. And God's up in heaven going, yeah. That's kind of the, the point behind it is like, Really? You, you really think that's going to work. You're going to be able to pull that off. There was, there's been many throughout, and I, I tried to find it real quickly before the service, and uh, Google failed me. But the, there, there was a, a famous atheist at one time that, that wrote this letter out saying that by the end of his lifetime, he has made it his life mission that he is going to make sure that the Bible is completely wiped out. God's up in heaven gone. <laughs> and I can't remember who it was, but it's, it, it ended up being, and it's not Spurgeon, but some, some other fam very famous godly man of God pastor, it ended up being his desk later on in, 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 in the desk's life long after the atheist had died, and the Bible being still the most widely read and embraced, and here we are tonight. That's what this is speaking. And, and again, I, 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 I so love this. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, notice, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I have installed him. Done. <laughs> Already established. Now, we look at that and we understand that that. The speaking, looking forward prophetically, and we'll get to that as we move through a couple more verses, the millennial reign, where Jesus will come again and rule and reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem, from Zion, from my holy mountain. But God speaks of it in such a certainty 
this is a done deal. I have already established this. The world can say whatever it wants. The world can think it's going to do whatever it can to change all of that. God is saying, (laughs) I'm God. It's already established. I will surely, verse 7, tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, he's speaking here of his anointed, the Messiah that is to come, Jesus Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, this is an important little side note, because this is a kind of verse that Jehovah's Witnesses and others will, sh- will try to use when they are talking to us to say, see, Jesus is created like you and I. That's one of the big things, the bit, one of the big differences between several cults and Christianity. We, Jesus was not created. Jesus is part of the eternal triune Godhead, eternally. No beginning, no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. But they say, see, but see here it says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you, as though this was his beginning. Keep your finger here because this is important. Jot this down if you're note takers. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Verse 33. Acts 13, 33. Actually, let's go back a verse because that's where the sentence begins. Verse 32. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. Note that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son today I have begotten you. Notice what he's speaking of. Put it into the context. He says he has raised up Jesus. He's not speaking of his incarnation. He's speaking of his resurrection. He is, he's not talking about from the womb. He's talking about from the tomb. And so when he's speaking of here, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Again, that is the promise that you and I embrace that we can hold on to. Notice, ask the, ask, follows on, surely I will give the nations as your inheritance. You and I. Children of God, because Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection, a vital part, absolutely vital. His suffering and death on our behalf on the cross paid the penalty for yours and my sin, but the resurrection proves it was received as payment in full on our behalf. If Jesus never rose from the dead, if he was still in the grave, you and I are still dead in our trespasses and sin, the Bible tells us. So, being spoken of here again if they try to bring that as evidence you take them right to acts 13 33 have them read it in their bible and and point it out to them they're talking about the resurrection here not about the incarnation but the bigger picture here again is this is already established this has taken place and speaking of the the millennial reign that is to come he shall break them as with a rod of iron you will shatter them like earthenware the bible speaks of 
the, the millennial reign, when Jesus will rule and reign with a rod of iron. And as children of God, as a child of God, I have no problem with that. If you wonder about that thinking, man, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. But let's talk afterward. There, there, that's not going to be used on you. Basically, what that is saying is it, there's not going to be an option during that time to rebel. There's not going to be an option to, to, to go off and, to, and to, to murder and to do all of these things. It, it will be ruled that way. Guys, there's going to be peace on earth for a thousand years, whether you like it or not. You're going to be able to safely walk around in the streets. It talks about in, in, in Zechariah and other places where old, old people will be able to safely walk in the streets at night. And when we're talking the millennial reign, old is like 800 years old. Walk safely in the streets at night, whether you like it or not. Children, you'll be able to send your kids out. It's playing all day. No fear of anything, whether you like it or not. That's coming. But also judgment is coming. And that's where he says in verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage, literally means to kiss or to worship the son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. Even in this, laying all of this out again, notice God's heart in this. His desire is that all would come to repentance. He doesn't want any to perish. He will allow it if people insist on continuing that way and choosing that and rejecting it. They're making their own decision, but his plea continually, turn, repent, show discernment. Don't fight it and argue over this. Embrace it for what it is, this truth, and the fact that, again, it's free. If you've never taken that step, if, if, if you've continued to, to harbor that and to fight against that and the Holy Spirit, I know, I, I know the Holy Spirit is moving here tonight. Through that worship, I, I, his, his presence is real. So I know if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to the Lord, you're, you're under conviction right now. Do not leave here with a hardened heart. Tonight, you can have your sins forgiven. Tonight, you can know that you're a child of God. Tonight, you can have no fear of the future. You can embrace and know that your eternity is secure, that your God loves you. Show discernment. Take the warning. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice. With trembling, that deals with, again, that healthy fear. Because, again, we're talking about Almighty God. But when we look to him, he's our heavenly father. And it closes, how blessed are those who take refuge in him. Your translation might say, how blessed are those who put their trust in him. If you've never done it, tonight, do it, and you'll have that blessing that can never be taken away from you. You can have the peace that passes understanding. You can have hope that can never be taken away. 
How blessed. Again, coming back where we started, verse one of chapter one, how blessed is the man? Notice how blessed are all who take refuge in him. That is where true fulfillment can be found. You can't find it anywhere else in the world. No matter what the lies say, no matter where it points us, the only way that we can find true satisfaction and fulfillment is with a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus, trusting in him. So again, I encourage you, if you've never done that, please, tonight, come on, come on up, talk to me. We have others here that we talk to whoever is around you. As a matter of fact, we got a couple of minutes. I want to I wanna close this way. James, James kind of got me got me thinking here a little bit earlier um, as, as he was sharing, you know, kind of holding him accountable with, with the fact that we're to, to be more alongside one another. And it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love in good deeds, not forsaking our own establishing together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stimulating one another, holding each other accountable, but also that idea of encouraging one another. I'm going to ask, this is totally off the cuff, not planned at all. If you need encouragement for something tonight, would you stand? If you're going through something right now, God bless you. Anybody else that needs encouragement in something that they're going through? Praise the Lord. Now, I want to, this other picture that I just, I just have here. We're talking about those trees firmly planted, right? The roots go down deep. And they go down and they, they can touch and they can get the, what they need from the water around them. But the trees planted next to each other and around each other, what else are those roots doing? They're intertwined with each other. And yes, we get the nourishment that we need from the water and from the soil. But there's a part of that in that beautiful picture where we get strength too in, with one another. So you see those that are standing around you, those that are sitting. Would you stand up now and would you go and get around those that, sta- that are standing right now saying that they need encouragement? And would you, let's do, I, might be awkward, might be uncomfortable, but would you grab hands? We can, I don't want, let's not step on each other's feet. That would, that'd be painful. Lord God, we thank you so much for the promises in your word. And you promise us that that our blessing comes only in you, not after chasing anything that the world has. Not with walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing with sinners or seated with scoffers, but Lord, when we delight in your word, We hold on to your truths and we meditate on them day and night because, Lord, your word is true and you sanctify us in your truth and in your word. And, Lord, you tell us, you give us this beautiful picture of how, how we are like trees firmly planted. But Lord, you see and you know and, and you understand the hearts and, and we don't need to, to go into the details. Lord, you even know the need of encouragement more than those who stood. You know, you know even what tomorrow has and, and all of that. So Lord, we just come to you as brothers and sisters. We come to the, the throne of grace and we, 
And we intercede on behalf of these, our brothers and sisters, your children. We intercede, Lord, and ask that you would give them the encouragement that they need. Lord, your word says to be anxious for nothing but in everything, in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make our request known to you. So, Lord, we lift our request to you right now. Lord, your word promises that the peace, your peace, not as the world gives, but as you give, Jesus, that peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, have your way. Lord, I pray for comfort for those who need comfort here. Lord, I pray for healing. Those that need physical healing right now, Lord, would you work through the hands of your, of your children right now, Lord, and, and bring healing. Lord, we pray for restoration, relationships that, that may be strained or broken. Lord, would you bring restoration? And Holy Spirit, would you move on any heart here tonight that is that is not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if that is you right now, it is simply a matter of humbling yourself right now, coming before your creator. And a prayer doesn't save you. It is a position of your heart, humbled before God, crying out to him, saying, save me, Lord. I believe that Jesus, you died to pay the full penalty for my sin. And I'm tired of chasing after the world for satisfaction. I'm tired of of filling myself with, with that which only destroys me, Jesus, would you come in and cleanse me? Take my sin away. Fill me with your spirit. Give me that, that joy, that peace, that hope. Give me that blessing that only comes from you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful not only to hear, but to respond to our hearts as we come humbly before you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you guys.